Welcome to the Thriving Birth Worker Podcast, a space for conversations about how you, the birth worker, can create not only a fulfilling and sustainable career, but a joyful and thriving life. I'm Erin Underwood, an educator, movement specialist, mother of four boys, and a total anatomy nerd. My passion is to see birth workers encouraged, supported, and empowered in their careers and life. Hello, fellow birth workers. I am so excited to share this interview with you today. I had the opportunity to talk to Sarah and Charlie from Hearth and Home Midwifery, who serve the community here that is local to me in the Willamette Valley of the Pacific Northwest in Oregon. So they're near and dear to my heart. Today, they offered us so much wisdom to all of us birth workers as they share their process of entering the birth world and how they navigate the on-call life, serving clients, working together as a team, and so much more. They dropped so many bits of wisdom in this interview. You'll be grateful and possibly interested in taking notes. So without further ado, I am thrilled to introduce you to Charlie and Sarah of Hearth and Home Midwifery. Charlie and Sarah, how are you today? We're really good. Awesome. So if I could have you say your name, just so that we can uh, match the name with the voice. Sure. I am Sarah McClure. And I'm Charlie Zarosinski. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I've been looking forward to this. So for our guests who haven't heard from you, could you just individually tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, who you are, how you serve the birth community. And then after you individually do that, I'd love to move into a little bit of talking about what you're doing now. So um, I'm Charlie and I started birth work, oh geez, 11 years ago now. It's funny as the years tick by, I just lose track of how many years it's been. (laughs) But I think about 11 years now and um, I was actually on this track to become a clinical psychologist. And I had no idea what birth work was like. I had no interest in it really at that time in my life. And I happened to meet a pregnant woman at a party. And we got to know each other over conversation and then spent some time together in the months to follow. And as she was getting close to having her baby, she asked me to be her doula. Um, which really surprised me and freaked me out because I had no idea what a doula was. Um, but I said, sure. And I went home and like Googled it and figured out what does a doula do? What is birth even like? I really didn't know anything other than what you get in like your basic, you know, middle school childbirth ed <laughs> situation. I was not interested at that time in my life of in like, having children or hearing about people having children or anything like that. Um, But I I took the challenge and it changed my whole life. So I ended up supporting this woman in her labor as her doula. And she obviously saw something in me that I didn't really know about quite yet. And she gave birth out of the hospital with midwives and it blew my mind. It just changed everything for me. It changed my whole perspective on women, on birth, on um, giving, you know, having babies. I was totally blown away by the whole process and just really in awe of the way that her midwives 
showed up for her. I don't think I'd ever seen or or had any idea that healthcare providers could act in that sort of way um, as they were taking care of someone. So it lit a fire within me. I quickly um, switched gears and just jumped right into being a doula and actually made that my job for a few years. I started my own business back then as a a solo doula and attended birth for a couple of years in that way. And then eventually I found midwifery. Um, Mostly I came to midwifery because the first birth I went to was this incredible, real, emotion-filled experience with midwives. And I went to a lot of births after that as a doula, mostly in the hospital and left for crying for really different reasons. Mm-hmm. I realized quickly that that wasn't the place for me. And um, I kept going back to that first birth experience I had and thinking about midwifery and found myself venturing into that world um, just a couple of years later. That's awesome. And that's where I met Sarah. <laughs> so I started school. I went to went to Birthing Way College of Midwifery and I met Sarah. Awesome. And then you're like, really changed. <laughs> it just keeps leveling up, really. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is Sarah talking now. I have a somewhat similar story. I had always been interested in pregnancy and birth. Um, I was pretty fascinated with it from a young age and I grew up um, really rurally and I saw a lot of animals having babies and I was always really, really into it, Um, but, you know, hadn't been to a birth ever until I was in my adult life. And then I was invited to a birth in 2009 to support someone having their baby. And I was really honored and it was an incredible experience. It was a hospital birth and it was really medicalized, but I was still really impacted by it. Um, But I was pretty intimidated by the idea of being a birth worker because it is so important. Mm -hmm. And I honestly didn't know if I had like the chops and I was like, I don't know. I'll just kind of put that, you know, it was in the back of my mind, but I felt, um, I felt intimidated. So fast forward a few years, a couple of years. And I was at a party also. And this woman told me that she was a doula and I had never heard of that. And she like explained what she did. And I, I remember saying to her, that's a job (laughs) to see with people while they're having their babies. And she was like, oh yeah. And I immediately enrolled in a course and did like an intensive and I got my mind totally blown. I was so excited. And I was like, yes, this is so awesome. I get to learn how to help people have babies and how to support them. Um, and so I, I was like quick moving. I'm super, once I make up my mind about something, I'm like, well, I'll just change everything to make that happen. And that's what I did. And I started attending births in the hospital mostly. So I had still never been to a home birth at this time. And I loved being with people at home when they were in early labor and when I was helping them to um, get kind of their groove. And then of course, when we would go into the hospital because they were active, I started seeing a lot of the interventions and I I didn't know 
that much, but I knew I had gone through my doula training. And at this point I had some birth experience and I often was like, well, I just feel like if they would do this or they would do that. So it kind of dawned on me like, well, maybe I need to be the one who's able to make recommendations and to give people options. Um, like I, I was really frustrated by it in the doula scope, not being able to say definitively, like these are all of your options and this is what the evidence is. And then I will support you because I wasn't ultimately the provider. Mm -hmm. So I could advise, but I couldn't ultimately like help them make a decision. So I was like, well, I think I need to just get over how intimidated that I am and like be a provider. And I looked at the different routes and because of who I am and because of um, what I love about birth, I knew like really clearly, really quickly that home birth was what I needed to do. And I actually didn't even attend my first home birth until I was about a year into my midwifery training. So I had had like all the didactic for a year, but hadn't actually been to a home birth, which in retrospect is funny because I was like gearing my whole life around something that I hadn't done yet. And then I got the opportunity to finally go as a student midwife. And it was so awesome. And it was a first time mom and she had her baby in the water and it was really, really low intervention. She was also 40. Mm. Wives that I was training with just really believed in her and gave her space and time. She had a totally uncomplicated, beautiful water birth and I wanted to just sit there and cry, but my preceptor was like, you need to like clean and do things. <laughs> and it was so awesome and beautiful and super affirming. And, um, and yeah, that's kind of how I came to midwifery and it's been, it's been as fulfilling as I thought it would be. And it's as meaningful for me as I knew it would be when I decided to, um, be courageous and start doing it. That's awesome. I love how your stories are so similar and yet different and I can see why you guys would connect. So you guys, you met at midwifery school then, is that what I heard? Yeah, we um, went to a school that has cohorts um, and they're smaller size cohorts. So the one that we were in was, uh, what, 16? It started at started 16. At 16 people. So you have a really great opportunity in that, you know, learning format to form relationships with the people you're in school with. Um, and I think we, it's funny, we knew each other for a long, we knew each other the whole time, but I think we didn't really get very close in our relationship probably until we were like halfway mm -hmm. through, mm -hmm. it seems. We started working as a dyad, the program that we went to at Birthingway College, um, encourages you to work in dyads. So you do your assignments and your studying in groups of two. Mm -hmm. We were, I think, randomly assigned to each other in our second year. Um, and we were like, well, this really works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were doing all of our homework together and like everything together. And it just kept really working. And so we got really close and um, eventually we started saying, you know, I think the whole purpose of some of the assignments in midwifery school is that these will in, in, um, eventually be your clinic materials and that you're, you're kind of doing it so that you can practice when you graduate. And we were like, well, let's, 
let's write things with that aim. Like, how would we really want to do this? How would we really want it to be written for real clients? So that it got um, much more real when we started doing it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then the transition into, okay, you're actually a midwife. Like what then? Like that seems like a pretty uh, intense transition to go from training to actually like, okay, now we're doing this. (laughs) It was super intense. Yeah. And I'm totally healthy and fine now, but kind of <laughs> part of our story is that right as we were taking our exams to graduate from school, I got in a pretty intense car accident oh, and no. experienced a traumatic brain injury. <gasps> oh my! And I still did all my exams. Looking back, I kind of can't believe I did that, but I did all my exams and we pushed through. And then we started our business together basically at my kitchen table. Yeah. We were both working with other practices um, and doing a ton of births, helping other midwives out around town while we, Charlie had a traumatic brain injury. (laughs) And we were also starting the business and getting clients and figuring out like, how do you do this? And so it was, yeah. And and that's to say nothing of like learning to be a midwife and then being like, okay, we're going to be midwives. Um, yeah, it's very intense, but we're both really, I don't know, what's the right adjective? Um, I wanted to say aggressive. <laughs> we both like are very goal oriented. So mm-hmm. we, we had fun doing it, even though when I talk about it, I'm like, that's really a lot. But I think we had a great time. We were so excited. Yeah, it was really fun. And it's still, it, it's, the deeper you go for us anyway, the deeper we go, the more fun it it has become. But starting a business, I think it was so exciting. The idea of being in charge, yeah, that like being in charge, I think is part of it that was really driving both Sarah and I. And it was very, very motivating to get things going off the ground pretty immediately. And of course, it's an incredibly steep learning curve because not only were we starting a business for the first time in our lives, not having gone to business school and being primary midwives without preceptors for the first time? In yeah. Our lives. Yeah. So you're like a new practitioner and you're becoming a small business owner. And the amount of time we put in is, is just incredible. I mean, we were totally obsessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about just some of the things that you think work in. What maybe your biggest um, takeaways in starting a business were, but what I'm the one thing I wanted to highlight real quick is just your attitude as far as talking about the struggle, but then talking about it being fun. And I think sometimes we have this perspective of just wanting to get through something. Like I just want to be successful. And it makes me think of like a baby learning to crawl. Like a baby mm-hmm. has to kind of struggle to get strong enough or the same thing. They say that with butterflies, like, if when the butterfly's in a cocoon, it has to struggle or it won't be strong enough to fly when it actually breaks out because mm-hmm. it won't have developed the strength. So like the struggle is part of building your strength and your stamina. Um, but I think sometimes it's so easy, especially in business to be like, I just want to be there. Like I, whatever there is, like some of us, mm-hmm. it's clear, some of it's, it's not, but when it comes to, because I do think this is an really overwhelming thing for a lot of birth workers, whether they're a doula or whether they're a midwife or whatever it is that they're doing, 
that a lot of the structure is what I mean, you can't get hired on in a hospital, but a lot of them go this uh, more entrepreneurial route where all of a sudden they are a small business owner and they've mm-hmm. taken this training that is all centered around birth work. Some trainings I'm hearing now are, are including a little bit more of like, hey, let's talk a little bit about marketing or whatever. But for it is overwhelming, no matter how much training you have, when all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to earn my living off of a small business that I am running, that is a really big transition. So if you could, so I love your guys talking about the attitude of like kind of maintaining that, the focus of why you got in it and not letting it steal the joy that you got from actually doing the work that you felt called to do. In addition to that, what do you think, or like maybe you didn't do it the first time, so it's not like, what did you do? Perfect. But what do you think helped contribute to your success business-wise, not just on the midwifery side? Well, the first thing I'm going to say for me, um, Sarah, is that I really have appreciated um, talking to and consulting with people who are outside the field. And the reason for that is actually that when you are steeped in the birth worker culture, especially in Portland, Oregon, where it's like the most saturated market ever, um, there's a lot of really strong myth around the culture, around being like extremely giving, and somewhat boundaryless and like that you have to do certain things and be a certain way in order to be a good to attend births and to take care of people and you know we Charlie and I are both like extremely compassionate empathetic and also have worked really hard on developing skills so we we have a lot to offer and it's been so helpful from a business perspective to talk to people outside the field who could just give some consultation about how to make your business, your practice work for the life that you actually want. Um, Like the idea that you have to be endlessly giving is not a sustainable way to set up a business. And when I talk to my friends and colleagues who work in other fields, they're like, it's so abundantly clear that you have to have a really good idea of your own kind of worth in order to actually set up a sustainable business. And I think that's something a lot of birth workers get really wrong and get really mixed up in that if you spend 48 hours uninterrupted at somebody's labor and you don't eat or drink water, that you're a better business person. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually the total opposite. So that has been a constant learning curve for us in learning how to like effectively run a business. Yeah, learning a lot about what are our own individual boundaries as people, as midwives and as business owners, I think has really contributed to our success. And it's, I didn't actually believe that that would happen. Like there was a lot of fear initially in setting boundaries because we were really nervous that like, oh, okay, well, if we have that boundary, we're not going to get these clients and we're not going to be busy or whatever. You know, that's the story we told ourselves is that, oh, it's scary to have these limitations that we're going to set for ourselves and we're going to vocalize them to people. And because what if they don't want to hire us? And we actually found that the more boundaries we set that felt authentic to us and to our well-being, the more our business was thriving. 
That's so good. And I love your advice too, of just not staying strictly within the birth world community for mentorship when it is, then that's what I've also done too. It's like you get business mentors because you're also running a business. And so there, it's really awesome to, yeah, kind of get your perspective, your lens, your birth worker lens, like have that challenged a little bit of like, what if we look at it from a different perspective? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Maybe I am making some assumptions that are maybe more cultural, but maybe aren't serving me. And aren't necessarily serving the clients. Like sometimes you lose perspective on um, what is the healthiest, like best service that you can offer. If you're overextended and you're allowing the culture to just be really like like you need multivocality and you need multiple perspectives in order to understand how to actually deliver the best service to people. Um, Cause things just shift. If they're, if they're all, if it's really, really narrow, then you lose track of how much you might slide into being overextended because that's the norm within your industry. But people outside of the industry can point out to you that that actually is not good for your client to do it that way. Another major thing that I think contributed to our is contrib- contributing to our ongoing success as a business was to identify our ideal client. And um, this is something that we kind of figured out halfway through the last three years, I would say. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, a lot of our approach was just like, we want to work for anybody and everybody. <laughs> and, and then I think we got kind of lost in like our yeah. marketing. Like how do we reach people? Because our we were just had such a wide um, kind of scope in terms of who we wanted to take care of as midwives. And when we received the advice to actually narrow that down to like talk together about what our actual ideal client was. I think things really changed for us because then we could narrow our marketing, our branding, just who who did we really want to work with? And it's kind of, um, you know, woo, so to speak. But when we put that out there into the world, it seems like that's who we started getting calls from. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That clarity. Clarity is really powerful when you have that clarity of like, what are we doing? Who are we serving? And how, because again, when you're connected to the client, you can serve them best. I think sometimes these practices, initially, we think it sounds selfish. We think it's about me and my needs and me getting paid and all those things. But really, it's when we zoom out, it's like when we, when our cup is full, when we're not stressed about finances, when we're not stressed about you know, having just overfilled our schedule or whatever it is that we've done. Or like you said, we're 30 hours into a birth and we haven't eaten or drank any water or gone to the bathroom or whatever it is. Like, are we really going to be showing up as our best self for that client? No, not at all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So kind of transitioning, you know, boundaries are powerful, but transitioning a little more specifically into self care habits that you guys use to keep your focus. So it's that this isn't you and you've done this incredible work. You have um, 
you know, processed your boundaries and you know that it's not selfish and that you're actually able to show up more fully yourself and, you know, with the capacity to serve your clients with your very best self when those things are taking place. I'd love to hear what you guys do personally to, you know, there's that saying of like, you can't pour from an empty cup. So what do you guys do to keep your cup full? We're getting better at this all the time. This is an ongoing conversation. Of course. This meeting's probably once a month where we're like, oh, let's change that. So yeah, forever yeah. it's evolving. Yeah. And I would say like, well, the, the thing that prompts it most is, is a, the first self-care technique that is specific that I want to name is ongoing mindfulness about our experience. Mm. Like really taking the opportunity to check in about how something was for us like Mm -hmm. how was it for us when we had five births in three days what could we have done differently because you know part of some of birth work things just happen when they happen but like really noticing how our recovery and our rest and all of that is going helps us to make decisions in our business about how we can make sure we are delivering great services and I'm doing so in a way that honors us and honors our bodies and our mental health and all of that. So the first like concrete step, I would say, is using an ongoing mindfulness throughout the day. If you're if you're doing if you're a midwife and you're doing prenatals, noticing throughout the day how your body feels, noticing how you feel when you get home, noticing how you feel at birth and using just awareness to to help guide you about what is like a yummy and what's a yucky (laughs) and then like trying to strategize to create more yummy so that you can take really good care of people. Yeah. Another concrete thing that we have implemented and it took some time is a call schedule. And we have the joy of getting to work as a team together. And we provide a lot of our client care um, as a, as a duo. Um, But we also take routine time off call every month. And that now includes that we actually don't do anything client care related in our off call time, which it took us a while to get there to let go. (laughs) Um, But really having time to step away from our job, because as a birth worker, you know, you might not be at work, but if you're on call 24 seven, you're always thinking about the possibility of work. And we realized that in order for us to still be very excited about being midwives and to want to show up for our clients with our whole selves, we needed time totally devoted to something else. Yeah. And then within that totally separate time, you know, I have a pretty, I've really noticed that a big part of it for me is freedom from my phone and freedom from connectivity because when you're on call, like I don't go around the block without my phone because if the pager goes off, then it means somebody really needs us. So I lo- I'm like so into turning off my phone and like putting it in a drawer when I'm off call um, and and creating like a different mind space, having the privilege to like spend some time with a book or like 
go without my phone to go out on the paddleboard or, you know, doing things like that, that really, really regenerates my sense of self, um, not having pressure bearing down that something might happen um, is really, I can feel my body recalibrate when that happens. And it's, and part of the beauty of travel, another big self-care thing for me outside of COVID um, is getting to a different location and not using my phone because then I remember so many parts of me that are really important and are part of my vitality that aren't just my midwife self. And I get to connect with those parts and it makes me feel so much more whole. So those things are, and that, that can just be like going up in the mountains in Oregon, but um, kind of getting that space is, a, is an absolutely essential part of this work for me. And when I've gone long periods without it, and I've been on call for months and months, I really start to wither. <laughs> She does. I think my partner's <laughs> laughing upstairs. <laughs> yeah, we just we forget why we love it. I think when we when we're on call for too long. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think took a lot of courage for us to do, but that we've arrived at that does feel like self care to me is charging what we believe we're worth. Um, when we charge the fee that we believe we're worth for our care, we feel so much better about providing the care. Um, and and we feel excited about it. And you know, then we also have what we need from a financial perspective when we go home and, you know, we're we're people in our families as well. And it makes it a lot more um sustainable to not only run a business, be a midwife, but to have a life outside of that. Yeah. And I'll just say about that real quick from a feminist perspective, like we understand that there, there's money implications and class implications and all of that. But I personally think that the birth worker field is severely undervalued in terms of Payment, and I think it does have to do with the fact that it's largely comprised of women, and women's work is just culturally underpaid and undervalued. So it feels exciting to be to be naming money as self care because ignoring money um, ignores one of the major components of whether we have what we need in our life, um, and that doesn't. I just don't think that serves anybody. So. Um, really charging what we think we're worth and our education and our skill set is worth is um, a really, really important form of self-care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are all incredible um, reminders, even if, you know, a lot of this stuff, we would technically know it, but it's that implementing it and actually slowing down. And like, I love what you said about with the self-care, you, I think you said that you you guys basically have conversations monthly checking in on what's working and what's not working. I think that's yeah. a really powerful habit because it's so easy to wait until we reach that burnout stage until like everything is falling apart and we can barely handle it. And then finally we ask ourselves those questions of like, wait, what's wrong? Like what's off course mm -hmm. and to actually force ourselves to get in the habit of way before we reach that like burnout stage, like just where like, yeah, I could technically push through but for how long? That's not going to serve anyone. So let's pause 
Let's reassess. Let's figure out what aligns with my values and let's get things more aligned with that. And it is, it's a continual process for everyone. I don't think anyone ever arrives. And I think, again, it's even tying that back to what you said earlier of enjoying the journey rather than being frustrated ourselves. Like, oh, why haven't I figured this out yet? Like, oh, why, why don't I just like have it all, you know, balanced? I've been doing this for however many years being more like, nope, this is part of the journey. It's part of my relationship with myself that involves a conversation that I get to have with myself and listening to myself and then honoring what I'm hearing that my body is saying, that my mind is saying, that my nervous system is saying, all those things. And then, you know, just, yeah, I love that idea of a monthly check-in. Yeah, I think it started because we were crashing. (laughs) (laughs) At one point we were like, how are we going to keep this business alive for, you know, the next 10 plus years? And we arrived at that. Yeah. And and as we get older, you know, when we first started doing this stuff, we were in our early 20s. And there's a lot of stuff you can do in your early 20s that doesn't necessarily feel good, but you you can like do it. Um, And honestly, as we're aging a bit, I think a central question is like, what feels good? And how do we want to live throughout our career? And we're empowered to make those decisions. And that is, it is empowering. And it's really important. I think it's so important um, to offer, to be able to take care of people in the best way. As we get older, we have to be really clear that we're feeling good. And that's ongoing and it's dynamic. It changes as we get older, as we enter different life stages, as our family structures look different, you know, it'll just keep changing. So it's the practice of continually checking in for like, what are we available for now? And it might be different in two years and that's totally fine. It's allowed to be different. That's fabulous. So before we kind of wrap up this conversation with my last question, I just was wondering if you, um, in general, speaking to birth workers, like if you had any kind of encouragement or anything, piece of advice that you would want to give to fellow midwives and doulas that just is really a passion of yours or something you've been thinking about recently. Advice. (laughs) Well, this is a piece of advice that someone gave to me once and it continues to resonate um but to make your work work for you um you know we are all called to the work that we choose as birth workers i don't think a lot of people just decide like <laughs> that'd be an awesome job like you're typically very passionate about the work you do if you have an on call job and our work in the birth field. And I want people to feel empowered to make their work, whether it's a doula, a midwife, whatever, make their work work for them and think kind of creatively about how it can continue to be something that creates passion within you and lights your fire and what keeps it fun and Mm -hmm. exciting. And, you know, for some of us, that's 
not working very much or for others that's working in a particular population or something like that. But yeah, finding out what makes this job work for you. The other thing I would add is um, no matter what kind of birth work you're doing or how you're contributing to improving birth for birthing people, um, you have something really incredible to offer. And I think keeping a high degree of professionalism and high self-regard. And if you're in situations that make you feel uh, that where you notice you feel undervalued, really checking in about whether that's a situation you want to be in, you know, and figuring out how to make it work for you. Because again, I think sometimes um, all of the amazing skills that birth workers bring and have get trampled when we are working within, or even if we just enter into shortly these power systems. So like if you're a doula in a hospital, you know, doulas are so strongly associated with lower cesarean rates and with way better birth outcomes and way better birth experiences. That's super important. So I just think often there's this um, lack of just self-regard amongst birth workers that can really can really wear you down over time and my advice would be to like figure out how you can be working if it's possible for you in a way that honors yourself and everything that you bring to the table and that might be a labor and delivery nurse like whoever you are and whatever um role you fill feeling really good about what you are offering because i think very often you know, OBs who have surgical skills are treated as magicians and doulas are undervalued. And truthfully, OBs are just people that got a certain amount of training in a certain thing. And doulas are people who got a different training in a different thing. And everyone who's helping the birthing person deserves a lot of professional respect and that that uh, could be better. Mm-hmm. better. All right. So if we could go back in time and you could look yourself in the eye right as you're fresh out of midwifery school and give yourself a piece of advice or encouragement or a reminder or whatever it is, what would you tell yourself at that point in time? I would tell myself, you don't have to do so much. Mm. Yeah. I would tell myself to keep perspective, you know, to not get so immersed. There's a scarcity model in birth work. Um, and I, I felt so nervous for so long about having enough and about being enough and like having like learning at the right pace and like da, 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 like so driven. And I would just tell myself to, I guess, relax a little bit. I guess it's similar, like do, do less. Like, <laughs> like I would be like, oh, I'll come over tomorrow and check your uterus. when like, no one was asking me to do that. Like, <laughs> I would be like, stop doing that. Don't do that. That's awesome. All right. Well, any uh, last thoughts? And then if you could, um, if 
you don't have any last thoughts, just tell our listeners where they can find you. If you're on Instagram, Facebook, your website, like just tell us. I know you have a beautiful website. So if you can just kind of tell us all the things. You know what? Okay. (laughs) My final thought is that home birth midwifery in the United States is growing and changing. And I really want to say to any student midwife that's out there that you are really valuable and you deserve to have a learning environment that feels supportive, that feels reasonable, and that is possible for you. And I think I really want to encourage new birth workers and student midwives to think of it as a workplace and decide what labor policies you're okay with. Working for days on end with no pay, with no regard for your physical body is an industry norm. And it's really, really unhealthy for our student midwives. And I really encourage any midwives listening to think differently about how they interact with their students. And students, I want to empower you to leave abusive uh, preceptor relationships. And to seek community. I think all birth workers need community um, that's within the field so that you can talk to people who understand what you're going through about what you're going through and to have safe places for processing, um, you know, secondary trauma from birth work or um, to just talk about really big experiences and to to find community that resonates with you. Um, we do, not every midwife, you know, practices the same and not every doula practices the same, but there is such a, um, a rich community, especially in the areas that we practice in Oregon and Washington, um, that birth workers can, can always find somebody who really resonates with them. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And, um, if people want to find us, you can find us online. Our website is Hearth and Home Midwifery. That's our practice. That's us, <laughs> Hearth and Home Midwifery. And uh, we are on Instagram, also at Hearth and Home Midwifery. Facebook, same name, and YouTube. <laughs> yes. So. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for just sharing your time and your wisdom. And I think you dropped a lot of little nuggets for us to chew on. You talked on boundaries and self-care and honoring ourselves and money and business. And we covered so much in today's episode. And there was a lot of little things. I hope people even go back and re-listen to it and actually let it sink in and let them actually you know, ask themselves those questions. And I love that practice that you brought up of just even a monthly check-in, not waiting until you're burned out. So there was just so much in this episode today. And so thank you guys so much for your time. Yeah, Erin, it was really great to be with you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Aren't they fabulous? I simply loved our conversation and so enjoyed learning from their experience and grateful that they agreed to share some of their precious time supporting us as a community. If you're looking for additional support, you can always find resources, free classes, keep in the loop on upcoming workshops, and so much more at my website, erinunderwoodmovement.com. Or under the podcast website, you can find all the show notes and details for each episode, which is at thrivingbirthworker.com. 
I am so grateful for each of you, for your time, how you invest in your communities and yourself. I'm cheering you on as we continue to step into this thriving life. Bye for now. The information and discussion provided on this podcast are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, you should consult with an appropriately licensed physician or healthcare provider.